Amen. Listen, you brought a Bible with you, say yes. And let me invite you to open it with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you're a guest of ours, we're glad that you're here. This morning actually marks the second message in a two-part series entitled, Can You Hear Me Now? What we're doing really in focusing on is encouraging husbands and wives to have open, good, and godly communication. I think every one of us have been on the cell phone before and all of a sudden we dropped a call. You ever had that happen, say yes? And uh, typically what we do is we call them back immediately and then we ask them, you know, can you hear me now? And really that's the question, even in our marriages, can you hear me now? Last week we looked at some communication killers that Paul the Apostle outlines for us in Colossians chapter 3. And this morning we're going to look at some communication builders or enhancers in Colossians chapter 3. So with that in mind, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Let me get you to stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Colossians 3, verse 12, you've got it there, say amen. And before we read these virtues, let me tell you what William Barclay says about them. He notes, there, these rather are the virtues that govern and set the tone of human relationships. What I'm about to read are the virtues that govern and set the tone for human relationships. So Colossians 3, verse 12, the Bible says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning, and uh, we stake the authority on the scripture, and so we pray that uh, the word of God would do exactly what uh, it claims to do, go out as a, a two-edged sword seeking to provide uh, surgery in the hearts and minds of all of us who hear, uh, growing us, shaping us into the image of your son, Jesus. We also pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would absolutely take control uh, that every single thing that is done would honor you and that would point to your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray uh, specifically for marriages today, husbands and wives, asking that you would strengthen them. Uh, those that need just to be encouraged, may they be encouraged. Those uh, perhaps who are on the uh, borders of giving up, we ask that you would speak to their hearts truth. And God, we're gonna trust that you'll work this morning. We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so Colossians chapter 3 is written by Paul the Apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to the church at Colossae, really encouraging them to live in unity. And Colossians chapter 3 is one of those watershed chapters in the Bible where Paul encourages those who are followers of Jesus Christ to take off the old self and put on the new self. He uses the imagery of taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. You see, before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you had your old way of thinking and your old way of living. That's what you used to wear every single day. But the moment you came to faith in the Lord Jesus, you received a brand new closet, and in that closet is different attire. And so you now have the opportunity to get dressed daily and actually be the husband that God's called you to be, as well as the wife that God has called you to be. And what's awesome is that Colossians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle is writing to the church, but he's going to directly apply these principles to the relationships that people have in their life. We see those relationships outlined for us in Colossians 3 and 18, where the Bible says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. And then as you continue to read, you 
see there is a relationship between children as well as parents. And then there's also a relationship between slaves and masters, our modern-day bosses and employees. And here is the bottom line. Uh, spiritual warfare always happens in the realm of relationships. And so the enemy is always attacking relationships. And he wants to attack your relationship as a married couple. His desire is to drive a wedge between both of you. And what he does is he attacks your ability to communicate. And we talked last week about uh, some ways, and rather I should say some actions and some attitudes that if we have, it will kill communication. Remember, we lined up those six figures, and we said Paul was telling us to throw them into jail. And those figures were outlined for us in Colossians 3 and 8. He says, put them all aside. That's the idea of casting them into prison. And then he names them. You can see them kind of in a prison lineup. There is anger. Uh, that's a short fuse that pops off at the mouth when our needs are not met. And then there is wrath. That's an inward boiling aggravation that seizes on a situation and violently erupts. He says, throw that into jail. And then malice which is a desire to actually get on someone's nerves, to provoke them to anger. He says, throw malice in jail, and then slander is speaking negatively about your spouse to other people. And then abusing speech, he says, throw that into jail as well. That is verbal talk that brings your spouse down. And then he says, also, you've got to get rid of lying. Cast that attitude and that action into prison. Do not allow it to have authority in your life. And lying really is just deceitfully hiding something from the one that you are married to. Now, this morning, we're going to see a bright spot. Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, God has graciously gifted you with new uh, attitudes and new actions that you can put on every single day that will actually create a climate in your home or a culture, if you will, that will enhance communication. So with that in mind, what I've done this morning is really just giving you seven statements that are based entirely upon the words that we have read in verses 12 and 13. So I'm going to give you the seven statements on how to create a culture in your home that will help communication to foster and to grow. And then by uh, God's grace at the end of this service, we'll actually pray those into our life. So are you all ready? Say yes. That was a long introduction. Can I get a witness on that? Here we go then. First statement that I want to encourage you with it's simply this, I want to be easy to live with. I want to be easy to live with. So as a husband, can you say that? Or as a wife, can you say that? I want to be easy to live with. Paul writes it, look at verse 12. All we're doing is word studies again this morning. It's pretty awesome. He says, put on a heart of compassion. Now everybody say compassion this morning. Compassion, right? He says, put that heart on. Now to be compassionate means to be merciful toward another person. It's the act of uh, literally uh, preparing for unity and also providing comfort. We are as husbands to live sparing our spouse from our judgment and indignation. Compassion, it does, it longs for comfort. There's no perfect husband nor is there a perfect wife. Can I get a witness on that? I didn't think I could. But anyway, so uh, you'd be in deep trouble. But anyway, so uh, nobody's perfect. Therefore, listen, we cannot and must not nitpick every action of our spouse. Uh, this idea of showing compassion is actually displaying mercy toward our spouse when they are experiencing difficulty. Uh, that is showing mercy even when there is a moral offense. So whenever we live uh, our lives wearing compassion, we are creating an environment where one spouse can freely talk to the other. 
So this idea of living with compassion, being easy to live with, it opens the door for intimate, genuine communication between husband and wife. And you can talk freely because you're not afraid of whether or not your feelings are going to get hurt or whether or not you're going to be uh, having your spouse cast judgment upon you. So I really do love that concept. It just describes being easy to live with. And that's it. I want to be easy to live with. Uh, statement number two. I want to build you up. I want to build you up. Think about that, husband, to your wife. I want to build you up. And then wife to your husband, I want to build you up. And where do we get that from? Check out this uh, second word. He says, put on a heart of compassion. And then he says, put on kindness. Can everybody say kindness this morning? It's a phenomenal word. That was five of you who said kindness. Can everybody say kindness this morning? Kindness. God bless all of you. It describes, I'll be kind to you, all right? It describes living with a disposition to do good to another. It's also been used to describe the act of generous gifting. Uh, it's the act of providing something beneficial. It's the exact opposite of being critical or negative. So if you're always critical and negative about everything, then your spouse isn't going to want to take up any time talking to you just out of sheer fear of what you might say. So think about that. I love that term kindness, right? A kindness uh, is generous gifting. As I thought about that term, I actually thought about Jesus' kindness toward the New Testament church. And there's no doubt Jesus is kind. He gives generously to the church. We read about it in Ephesians where God, through Christ, has gifted the New Testament church with apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. But we also read about in the book of Romans how God has gifted the church with spiritual gifts. So every single follower of Christ has a spiritual gift that should be exercised within the context of a body of believers. And that is a gift which the Lord gives to the church. Now as I think about this, how uh, generous, how kind the Lord is toward the New Testament church, I have to sit back and say, okay, now how can I apply this as a husband to my wife? Am I a generous gifter? Am I giving to my spouse in such a way that it is honoring her, that it is building her up, that it is actually helping her? It even goes down to the point, in my mind, practically speaking, where I want to be a generous gifter and actually give gifts to my wife. So Valentine's Day, I want to give a gift to my wife. Are y'all with me say yes on that? Uh, any of you wives get a gift from your husband this Valentine's Day? Say Amen. Any of you who did not, would you just raise your hand? We'll point your husband out right now. Just kidding. Pretty wild, right? But that's the idea, being a generous giver, being kind. But here's what we also know about this idea of being kind. Paul actually wrote to Timothy and said, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. There's the word kind. It gives me a contrast of choosing to be kind instead of arguing just for arguing's sake, the act of quarreling is a desire to prove yourself to be right and to prove someone else to be wrong. Uh, there's a fear that some individuals enjoy just arguing. They may be considered stubborn, unwilling to bend. Uh, uh, they may even be just mean. But Scripture teaches you and I that it is God's kindness toward us that actually leads to change. Now, everybody listen and say yes, because this is huge. God's kindness toward you and God's kindness toward me, the Bible says, leads to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of behavior. So if God's kindness toward us changes us, then the reality is if you want to see a change in your marriage, you ought to put on kindness. 
And as you are kind to your wife, as you are kind to your husband, you will begin to see God do a phenomenal change in their life. So we want to be kind. I want to build my wife up. Here's a third statement I would give you this morning. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. Uh, Paul notes it again in verse 12. Check it out. He says, put on compassion, put on kindness, and put on humility. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. It really is the act of putting others' needs above your own. In this case, we talk about the husband putting the needs of his wife above his own. The wife putting the needs of her husband above her own. It's humility. And listen, humility always leads us to serve other people. Uh, And the exact example of that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about him in Philippians chapter 2, right? Where the Bible says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant, and he served you. So Jesus came as the primary example of humility. He who is God of very God came in flesh and served humanity. Now, you and I are called to be servants of one another. So if Jesus is our primary example and we claim to follow him, then a husband should be serving his wife and a wife should also be serving her husband. Y'all out there say yes? And this is pretty huge, right? If you think about serving, I've always found it interesting that whenever a husband and wife first get married, how much they serve one another. Have y'all noticed this? But it seems uh, oftentimes the longer that they are married, the less they serve one another. But that's the opposite of what should be true in the case of the life of a follower of Jesus. Your service should actually increase as your devotion to the Lord increases. So as you are devoted to God, it will show up in your service towards your spouse. So those of you who are followers of Jesus and you've been married 40 and 50 and 60 years, you should be the primary examples for people like me of what it really looks like to serve another person in marriage. So this is a huge concept, serving one another. Humility always serves, pride never serves. So I would encourage you to pray that into your life. I want to serve you, speaking about your spouse. Here goes the fourth one. I want to consider your feelings. I want to consider your feelings. Paul writes it again. Notice those words. I love them. He says, put on a heart of compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, and then check this one, put on gentleness. And I found that uh, word, man, was just so full of information. Uh, The term is often defined, that term gentleness, by telling us what it is not. Gentleness is not harsh. It's not quick to quarrel, it's not easily provoked, but it is very calm. Uh, Check this out, gentleness is not sharp tone. Uh, This is a term used to describe a healing medicine or a soothing wind. And you think about that for a moment, gentleness describes a soothing wind. Have you ever been outside before in the yard working and it's like 120 degrees out there and you are just sweating like crazy and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, God just by his grace, I suppose, he just blows a gentle breeze towards you. You ever felt that before? And you're like, thank you, Jesus, keep it coming, right? Blow some more AC on us. Here's the deal. As a husband, when you enter the room where your wife is, you should be like a gentle breeze, not a scorching heat. Uh, As a wife, when you enter into the room, your husband should see you as a gentle breeze, a soothing medicine. You are gentle towards your spouse. I want to serve you. I want to consider your feelings. 
And then we go a step further here into the fifth statement. I want to watch God work. Paul writes in verse 12 that we are to put on patience. So you see it there. There's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and then here's patience. Now, the word itself literally is translated long-tempered. So it's the exact opposite of short-tempered. This speaks of having a surefire determination to see it through with our spouse. This is the idea of possessing the willingness to wait on God to act on behalf of your marriage. Uh, this is where you find hope in marriage. The goal isn't to try to change your spouse to fit your needs. Your goal is to trust God to work in the life of your spouse to accomplish his purposes. Now this carries with it the concept of wanting to see God do an awesome work. In fact, I've had people come and they share kind of what's going on in uh, their marriage. They share their feelings about what gets on their nerves about their spouse, right? This is what she does. It drives me nuts. This is what he does. It drives me crazy. And then the advice that I always give, I always go to this passage, right? Colossians 3. I say, here's what you need to put on some patience. Just calm down. Uh, trust God to work in the life of your spouse. And here's what I have found, right? Usually whenever we put on patience... It's not our spouse who really needs the working on. It's us. And God uses those situations. Here's the deal. Marriage is like this crucible where God melts away our flesh so that Christ can be seen through us. So as you and I are married and as we are seeking to live a life that honors the Lord and walk with him, God's using that marriage as an opportunity for you to grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So you've got to be patient. And I want to watch God work. And then let me give you this one. I love number six. I want to hold on to you. Uh, I want to hold on to you. Men, can y'all say amen to that statement? I want to hold on to you. <laughs> let me give y'all another chance. Uh, I'll say I want to hold on to you. And you men say amen. All right, y'all ready? I want to hold on to you. <laughs> Some of you men still didn't say anything. Y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself. Look at verse 13. Here's how he rolls it out. He says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. It's the idea of holding on even under difficult circumstances. Uh, it's also the same uh, terminology used to uh, give this statement. I want to put up with you. I kind of liked I want to hold on to you better. Y'all with me on that? But it is. It's used that way in the New Testament. Jesus says, how long must I put up with you? He's speaking to Israel, those who have rejected him, those who are turning their back on him. How long must I put up with you? How long must I bear with you? How long must I hold on to you? And we apply this uh, to us as husbands and as wives. It's the idea of not giving up, not throwing in the towel, not saying I quit, especially in the arena of conversation. Giving up on someone in the middle of a talk does not benefit them whatsoever. So no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the strain on the marriage relationship, the idea here is that I want to hold on to you. So I would say to you husbands who uh, perhaps are on the verge of making an unbiblical decision uh, that you need to pray this into your life, I want to hold on to you. Or wife, maybe you're on the verge of making an unbiblical decision about your marriage. You're about ready to throw in the towel. Uh, I would encourage you, hold on. Watch the Lord work. God will move. And can I just say, good, good news here, all right? Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's good news. Now, if that's his attitude towards the church, 
and I as a husband is supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church, then I should be saying the same thing. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. There's this commitment. Uh, there's this holding on to. All right, last statement. Here it is. I want to keep no record of wrongs. I want to keep no record of wrongs. I bet you don't know where I got this from. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and check this out, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Forgiving each other. It's a tall order. I'm sure you, you've heard it that in marriage, oftentimes when arguments occur, uh, one person gets hysterical, the other person gets historical. Y'all ever heard that before? It's like they just bring up stuff. They can remember all this. Well, you did this 10 years ago, five years ago. And it's like they bring out, it's like they've been banking on this so they can put it in their gun and fire it away. Right? And Jesus says, don't act this way. Forgive each other. Uh, you should keep no record of wrongs. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul the Apostle is describing love in the context of the body, but it's also applied to the uh, marriage. He says, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. And so in the same way that Jesus, by his grace, forgives you lavishly for every single thing that you have ever done, are doing, and will do, you and I should have that same kind of attitude of forgiveness toward our spouse, toward others. Now this is a massive concept. Keeping a record of wrongs will taint your view of your spouse. It'll create a massive barrier between both of you. Uh, you've got to tear down the invisible wall built so that communication can flow freely. And the reality is that if you are holding on to unforgiveness, it'll cause you to become bitter and resentful. And as a result, listen, this is huge. As a result, the agape, unconditional love of God cannot flow through your life freely to your spouse. Cause of unforgiveness. There's a great book written by Charles Stanley called Forgiveness. And in it, he gives five steps to take in dealing with an unforgiving spirit. Let me just kind of throw these at you very quickly. If you have an issue with forgiveness, he says, first, we must recognize that we are totally forgiven. To understand what God has done uh, for us and then to refuse to forgive those who have wronged us is to act in a wicked way. Listen, this is an awesome statement. We display our gratefulness. Are y'all listening? Say yes. We display our gratefulness to God in our ability to forgive other people. So we not only recognize that we are totally forgiven, but we also got to release the person from the debt we think that is owed to us for the offense. And most of this is mental and emotional. Where we release the person, we are forgiving from having to pay a penalty for their wrong. Uh, listen, some people are living in their homes and their husband uh, is trying to get the wife to pay back some penalty or some offense that she's committed years ago. And vice versa. That's not a godly biblical home. You're releasing the person from the debt that's owed. And aren't you glad God released you from the debt that was owed? It's like you and I deserve death and hell, but God graciously released us, set us free. That's what we say whenever we say he who has the son is free, free indeed. Uh, free from what? Free from condemnation. Free from the debt that we owe to God. And if we are followers of Jesus, who is the ultimate forgiver, we should display forgiveness as well. And then third, we must accept our spouse as they are. Your husband or wife are not changed by you. The change that they need to experience comes from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And then we note here, we must view those who have forgiven as tools for us to grow from. In fact, as you read through the scripture, you find Jesus obviously is the ultimate forgiver, but there are so many others throughout the word of God. Uh, one of them is Joseph in the Old Testament. He is a forgiver towards others. That's all we should be. And then fifthly, we must make reconciliation. Uh, you know that true reconciliation has occurred when you can be around your spouse with no more awkward feelings or feelings of tension. Y'all ever had that before? It's like you got an issue with your spouse. Now don't leave me up here by myself, all right? But you, you've had that before, right? Where all of a sudden there's this little quarrel and all of a sudden now you can feel it, right? There's this tension between you and there it is hanging out. It's like in the room with you. It's like this, I mean, green monster coming down. When you've truly forgiven, there is no more feeling like that around. That's true forgiveness. Hey, can you and your spouse sit in a room and there not be some kind of weird tension? Because if you can't, then you've got some forgiveness issues that need to be dealt with. And you and your spouse have got to open up and you actually have to conversate about it. So let's look at the text again, all right? Check it out. Paul's writing again. Take off the old self, put on the new. Look at verse 12. You got it there? Say amen. The Bible says, so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. Now, this morning before you came to church, most of you looked in the mirror. I say most of you because I know some of you did not. <laughs> and most of you looked in the mirror, right? So you were checking it out, how you looked before you showed up at church. Well, here's the deal. What I want you to do at the end of this message, and I know this is a little different, all right? But I want you to look into the evaluation mirror of your own marriage, all right? And all I'm going to do is ask you some questions. So husbands, you're answering these. Wives, you're answering these as well. So I'm going to read them. going to pause, let you reflect for a second. But you answer them truthfully. Here's the first question. Am I easy to live with? Question number two, is my spouse strengthened by the words that I speak? Question number three, am I putting the needs of my spouse above my own? Question number four, does my tone of voice show that I am being considerate of my spouse? Number five, am I trusting God to do a work in our marriage for his glory and our good? Y'all still with me? Number six, am I walking with my spouse even when it is difficult? And then number seven, have I completely forgiven my spouse for what has been done? Hey, can I tell you, preaching on marriage is probably uh, the most difficult messages I ever preach. Like preaching on hell is easier to me than preaching on marriage. Are y'all listening? That is no joke either. And ultimately, I think the reason is because uh, the one who knows me best hears me preaching these words. <laughs> That's my wife. Y'all look confused. Even as I looked at these uh, last night, as I looked at these again this morning, I have preached them twice every single time I preached the message, man. Literally, even while I was preaching a minute ago, I'm like, oh, I need to work in that area. 
Krista's staring a hole in me. You know what I mean? So there, listen, not perfect, growing just like you guys are. All of us are growing. We're all on this journey together, seeking to grow. Listen, but bottom line is, man, I do. I want to be a husband that honors the Lord and that uh, really loves my wife like Christ loves the church. And I'm confident Krista's the same way with me. But, but it's all growing. So if you're in here and you're listening to this message, like, I don't do any of those things, or I, I failed at every single one of those. Listen, take uh, great courage, all right? God wants to work in your marriage. God wants to do a work in your life. And then I'd also add, and I want you to listen to this, all right, because this is when it kind of boils down to uh, the end here. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Are you all listening? Say yeah, because I'm going to come right here so you really pay attention. Colossians chapter 3 is written to the church. So, so look at the preacher. Uh, if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, you can't apply any of this stuff. This isn't Paul saying, all right, now, guys, good luck on being a good person. This is Paul realizing that we aren't good people. This is Paul realizing that we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. God, by his grace, displayed his unconditional love in his son, Jesus. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sin, was buried and resurrected. When you place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and listen to this, God pours out his agape, unconditional love into your heart, and now his agape, unconditional love can actually flow through you to your spouse. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what you are doing? You're putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiveness. But when you're walking in the flesh, you're wearing anger, wrath, malice, abusive speech, slander. But if you don't know Jesus, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'd encourage you, if you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ, listen, uh, wife, if your husband isn't saved, he doesn't know Jesus yet, guess what? You might leave here this morning with a brand new husband. Can I get a witness on that? Be like, finally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wife, you may not know the Lord. Husband, you could leave here with a brand new wife. All because of God's grace. And then whenever you have a relationship with the Lord, then you can take off the old and put on the new. Can't put on the new until you have a new life in Jesus. Amen? So I'd encourage you to consider that. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Pray that you continue to grow us in our walks with you. Speak to hearts even now.